Welcome to Victory Over Communism with Bill Gertz, the only program willing to pull back the curtain of communism to reveal how China and even America's own brand of Marxism pose real threats to freedom and democracy in America and the world today. Your host and guide to victory over communism is one of the nation's most experienced national security journalists, Bill Gertz, who uses unique facts, pinpoint analysis, and exclusive interviews to identify and counter today's destructive communist ideologies. Now, Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz. Welcome to the latest episode of Victory Over Communism. As I like to point out, This podcast is about ideology, destructive ideologies I call American Marxism and communism or Marxism-Leninism. It's not about the people who believe in these ideologies. My view is that they are misinformed. I'm trying to help them better understand the true nature of these ideologies. In this episode, I'm going to discuss the problem of American Marxism and two key ideological characteristics of it, political correctness and woke ideology. Today, The scourge of wokeness and political correctness in American society is pervasive and to me represents a dangerous political ideology that's being used by American Marxists to do nothing less than undermine freedom. Wokeness in PC culture is derived from Marxist ideology, and I define it as policies, language, and measures that go to extreme lengths to avoid offending specific groups being promoted by the left as part of political narrative aimed at producing revolutionary changes from Hollywood to the news media to corporate boardrooms to professional sports. Free speech and honest political discourse and debate have been subverted through this false ideology that's dominated by the use of liberal left bromides that have turned the phrase land of the free, home of the brave into watch what you say and fear any politically incorrect utterance or you will be canceled. Yes, cancel culture is real and must be countered. Today, Marxist ideologies now dominate the Democratic Party that has swung sharply leftward, first under Barack Obama and now under President Joe Biden. Today, political correctness is fundamentally transforming the United States from a country built by American founders who believed in the ideas of freedom, prosperity, and limited government to one based on aggravating past resentments and self-centered identities. The goal of American Marxists in promoting wokeness is not the pursuit of justice, an end to inequality, or other humanitarian and altruistic objectives. It is the pursuit of political power that will enable transforming the United States into a Marxist and ultimately a communist system. Today, people who declare the United States to be a great nation are denounced for failing to understand the dominant false leftist narrative that America must be pummeled ceaselessly as a racist imperialist power with cultural and traditions that must be destroyed and replaced with socialistic and hedonistic values. Using the false Marxist claim that the entire U.S. population is dominated by white supremacy, Marxist ideologues want power that can be used to eliminate the capitalist free market system. That would also end the freedoms and liberty that have been the hallmark of the American system for the past 246 years. The Marxist ideology of political correctness is a serious threat to freedom and democracy. Unless it is countered with truth and education, like this podcast, the future of our free and democratic system will be imperiled. It was Marxist philosopher Herbert Marcuse in 1972 who called for a strategy of the long march through the institutions. 
He defined it as working against the established institutions while working in them. This is the origin of politically correct policies that can be traced to the American Marxist radicals who read and adopted Herbert Marcuse's ideas back in the 70s. They followed his advice of abandoning street protests and demonstrations in favor of long-term infiltration and ideological subversion. Within a several decades, within several decades, Marxist and leftist sympathizers had moved into positions of power in American institutions, first in academia and the universities, then in the news media and the entertainment industry, then into sports, and finally into government and even the military. It was a remarkable use of information warfare to impose Marxist ideas on a nation built on Judeo-Christian values and American traditions of independence and freedom. American na national culture is now dominated by what has been called opinion morality. This is highly destructive. Opinion morality obscures traditional moral concepts of right and wrong. Marxist proponents of opinion morality argue there is no right or wrong. Morality is whatever your personal opinion is. The death of George Floyd and the widespread riots and unrest that followed set in motion several of American Marxist long-term goals. One is the disarming of American society through weakening and ultimately eliminating the police. The other is adopting the false premise that the American people are irredeemably racist. The anti-police movement has further undermined law and order nationwide. As police in major cities began turning away from enforcing the law over concerns, liberal urban political leaders would accuse them of racially motivated policing. The policy is deadly and has produced a sharp increase in homicide rates and other crime. The transformation of American society through political correctness started in earnest under Barack Obama's administration. It was Obama who promised to fundamentally transform America. He vowed to end greed on Wall Street, promised new jobs and the promotion of universal equality, all laudable goals, but also key themes of Marxist ideology. The Biden administration has continued the Obama-era Marxist policies. This is most visible on the southern border crisis that flooded the country with hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants with little regard for the economic or security dangers. Unrestrained government spending under Biden and the Democrats in Congress produced record inflation and is driving the country toward a major recession. Soaring gas prices are, and choking inflation hit the middle class the hardest. This is the class that leftists claim to be representing and supporting their anti-capitalist crusade. Climate change alarmism also led the Biden administration to curb domestic oil and gas production, forcing greater reliance on foreign oil producers to produce more. The anti-oil and gas policies, part of the president's push for replacing millions of gas-fueled vehicles with electric cars, vehicles that are currently unaffordable to most Americans. Biden recently justified the pain being inflicted on Americans by his administration as part of what he called the incredible transformation away from fossil fuels. The left's claims to be supporting the middle class as code for fundamentally transforming the country from a free market capitalist system into a socialist or quasi-socialist system where government controls, in Marxist terms, the means of production. 
Marcuse was among the left's most important Marxist philosophers who argued that the U.S. government was too strong to be overthrown by traditional means. Thus, Marxists adopted his strategy of long-term infiltration into the institutions in America, the path for bringing Marxism and ultimately communism to the country. Marcuse stole the long march term from Mao Zedong's military retreat in 1934 that culminated in communism's disastrous rise to power in China in 1949. If Marcuse is the Karl Marx for the rise of politically correct so socialism, Saul Alinsky is its Vladimir Lenin. Alinsky, who died in 1972, the year Marcuse penned Counter-Revolution and Revolt, produced a generation of Marxist radicals who followed the prescriptions for taking power he laid out in his 1971 book, Rules for Radicals. According to Alinsky, the book is concerned with how to create mass organizations to seize power and give it to the people, to realize the democratic dream of equality, justice, peace, cooperation, equal and full opportunities for education, full and useful employment, health, and the creation of those circumstances in which man can have the chance to live by values that give meaning to life. The use of flowery terms like democratic, equality, justice, peace, are typical of communist lies and deception that is one of the most important features of Marxism that has failed to produce any of those benefits wherever it has been brought to power. Alinsky's utopian vision was the same as the one held by communist dictators who turned normal nations into killing fields for most of the 20th century. But Alinsky joined the school of Marxists who believed the realization of communism in America would not come from an armed, violent revolution, but through gradual infiltration and subversion of existing institutions. As Alinsky wrote, a Marxist begins with his prime truth that all evils are caused by the exploitation of the proletariat by capitalists. From this, he logically proceeds to the revolution to end capitalism, then into the third stage of reorganization into a new social order of the dictatorship of the proletariat, and finally the last stage, the political paradise of communism. In 2008, Alinsky's son, David Alinsky, wrote a letter to the Boston Globe hailing the Democratic National Convention that year, at which Obama was chosen as the nominee for having, quote, all the elements of a purpose perfectly organized event, Saul Alinsky style. As David Alinsky put it, Barack Obama's training in Chicago by the great community organizers is showing its effectiveness. When executed meticulously and thoughtfully, it is a powerful strategy for initiating change and making it really happen. Obama learned his lesson well. I am proud to see that my father's model for organizing is being applied successfully beyond local community organizing to affect the Democratic campaign in 2008. It is a fine tribute to Saul Alinsky as we approach his 100th birthday. Alinsky's influence today on Democratic Party Marxists and other leftists has been all but ignored by the mainstream media, as if mentioning this powerful force would be politically incorrect. Another Alinsky acolyte is Hillary Clinton, who had, the, who had she become president in 2017, would have pursued an even more radical American Marxist policy agenda than Obama. In 2014, two years before launching her run for the White House, letters were made public between Clinton and Alinsky. Dear Saul, she wrote, 
when is that new book rules for radicals coming out or has it come out and I somehow missed the fulfillment of revelation? You are being rediscovered again as the new left type politicos are finally beginning to think seriously about the hard work and mechanics of organizing, Clinton said. She added in that 1971 letter from Berkeley, California, that she had survived law school with, quote, my belief in and zest for organizing intact. Of course, organizing is code for Marxist revolutionary politics. Her admiration for Alinsky was deep. As a 21-year-old Wellesley student, her political science thesis was, there is only the fight, an analysis of the Alinsky model. And she lauded the Chicago communists. Clinton elaborated on this, the left's long march through the institution in her 2000 book, Living History. She said that she disagreed with Alinsky, who believed you could change the system only from the outside. I didn't, she said. In other words, Clinton was convinced at an early stage in her political career that the long march strategy of American Marxists advocated by Marcuse was the key to successful socialist revolution. Had she won in 2016 over Donald Trump, Clinton would have gone beyond Obama in carrying out a covert leftist takeover of the U.S. government. That had to wait until the Biden administration that remains dominated by Marxists and leftists who view the United States as people who are irredeemably racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, and in climate crisis, denying the climate change is real. Under Biden, the DHS even created a disinformation governance board that was set up to try and politically control information deemed unfavorable to leftists and Marxists. Under pressure, the board was shelved, but it could be revived in the future, as if Biden so chooses. Politically correct information warfare policies under the Defense Department and its political appointees have raised the false claim that the U.S. military is dominated by white supremacists. Under Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, all military personnel were subjected to demeaning and insulting communist-style struggle sessions in a vain hunt for white supremacists in the ranks. Then the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, saluting his politically correct civilian overlords, told Congress he too wants to understand white rage. This is another Marxist shibboleth built on the false narrative of the United States being a systemically racist society. To promote Marxist gender identity policies, Biden even set up something called the Gender Policy Council in the White House, the Gender Policy Council. Its mission is advancing notions of gender ideology, quote, in both domestic and foreign policy development and implementation, unquote. In other words, all policies must conform to radical gender identity ideology. The political agenda of the liberal left in the United States is literally destroying the fabric of American society. It is the culmination of American Marxism of the 1970s and is now reaching unprecedented levels of power. The late Angelo Cotavilla, a conservative national security strategist, saw liberal left progressivism as igniting what he termed an imperial revolution that is subverting constitutional government. Quote, a bipartisan ruling class of both left and right is using political correctness to advance its ideological agenda based on the concept of anti-discrimination to do away with American traditions and freedom. Arbitrary power is replacing the rule of law and the defense of constitutional freedoms, unquote, Cotavilla said. 
Americans' rights guaranteed in the Declaration of Independence and codified in the Bill of Rights have been transformed into government-defined civil rights according to leftist political dictates. Religious freedom, free speech, free assembly, keeping and bearing arms, freedom from warrantless searches, and other rights are natural rights, and securing those rights for Americans has been what the United States was built on. Yet, the U.S. Civil Rights Commission under the Obama administration, reflecting American Marxism's revolutionary fervor, wants to limit one of the foremost of these rights, religious freedom. The commission stated in a, an Obama-era report that religious exemptions to civil rights protections based on classifications such as race, color, national origin, sex, disability status, sexual orientation, and gender identity, when they are permissive, permissible, significantly infringe on those civil rights. In other words, it says the phrases religious liberty and religious freedom will stand for nothing except for hypocrisy, so long as they remain code words for discrimination, intolerance, racism, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia, Christian supremacy, or any form of intolerance, unquote. The report highlights the fact that religion and religious freedom remains a target of atheist Marxism and communism and has been one since the ideology's inception and can be see seen clearly in that kind of policy. The Democratic Party seems determined to, in its drive to impose a revolutionary agenda aimed at transforming America. For the Republican Party, it has been in turmoil and must regroup in the coming years from the ashes of its failure to heed traditionalist Americans' desire to block progressive transformation. In many ways, woke and politically correct ideology poses an existential threat to the long-term health of the United States. It must be countered with an information warfare program that uses truth to expose its false and destructive ideas and operations. I'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages. If you enjoy listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, please consider helping Bill with his important work of educating patriots just like you about how communism is very real and even more dangerous than ever before. Your donation to the Victory Over Communism program will help expand its reach across America and throughout the world. In fact, you'll be helping to provide the kind of information that may well make its way behind the new Iron Curtain and the Great Firewall of China and inspire those living under communism to seek freedom. Supporting the Victory Over Communism program is easy. Just visit the program website, victoryovercommunism.net, and click on the link at the bottom to gofundme.com. Again, just visit victoryovercommunism.net and click on the link to gofundme.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless America. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. This is the counterproposal section of the podcast, uh, the one that I call the spiritual section. For the next few minutes, 
I will be introducing the faith-based counterproposal to American Marxism and communism that I call the VOC worldview or victory over communism worldview. It is based on the spiritual principles first revealed by the Reverend Sun Myung Moon and outlined in his teaching called the Divine Principle. The ancient Chinese war tactician Sun Tzu once observed that if a person knows neither himself nor his enemy, then in 100 battles, he will suffer 100 defeats. Sun Tzu also observed that if one knows either one's enemy or oneself, it would then be possible to win 50 out of 100 battles. But the only way to win all 100 battles was in knowing both one's enemy and oneself. Starting in this section, I'm going to be helping, trying to help listeners understand something more about this program that is not just a critique of Marxism and communism, but a winning counterproposal. Many people thought that communism ended with the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. But today, there are new concerns about communism from communist China. The Chinese Communist Party is aggressively pursuing world domination under its form of Marxism-Leninism. More importantly, the only way for the Chinese Communist Party to achieve this goal will be for the CCP forces to eliminate the United States-led order under democracy and free markets. At home, we're now confronting the 50-year drive of American Marxists to destroy the U.S. system and replace it with a repressive socialist and communist system. People ask, how are we going to stop this force? The late Dr. Fred Schwartz, a distinguished Christian anti-communist leader for decades, wrote many years ago an article with the headline, Why I Am Against Communism. Quote, I am against communism because I am against war, dictatorship, monopoly, slavery, fascism, fratricide, cannibalism, imperialism, atheism, materialism, spiritual infanticide, and idolatry. Communism advocates and practices all of these things, he said. Schwartz was correct. These are all problems. They are all symptoms of applied Marxism. But like any disease, there must be a cause or an original virus that has produced these symptoms. For that reason, we need to ask, what is the virus or core evil of communism? Unless we discover this, we won't be able to prescribe a cure. That means we can never stop communism. Many explanations have certainly been advanced to explain communism. Some argue that communism's core evil stems from its deprivation of freedom. But when studying Marx, you can see that he claims to have designed a philosophy that will allow for true human freedom. This being its supposed goal, can we say that the deprivation of freedom is communism's core evil? No. In the U.S., some feel communism's core evil is its stated goal of abolishing private property. But communists often deny their, their intention is to abolish private property. Lenin promised the Russian peasants that after the revolution, he would bring them bread, land, and peace. Beginning in the 80s, under the modified communist policies called the reform and opening up, communist China produced some prosperity, but it was mainly for the ruling elites of the 95 million member Chinese Communist Party. That system has allowed millionaires and billionaires temporarily to emerge. That is, until recently, when Xi Jinping began imposing neo-Maoist communism and putting these people out of business. In the Soviet Union, leaders had dachas and, and drove Mercedes Benzes. So can we say that the abolition of private property is the essence of the evil within communism? No. Refugees from communism often testify that communism's greatest evil can be found in its violation of human rights. No one group presents itself as a more vocal proponent of human rights than Marxists. 
Marxists claim that Marxism can restore human dignity, and communist propaganda persistently accuses many non-communist governments of corruption and shortcomings, especially evident in the Chinese communist propaganda. Communists speak of their intention to build a world where no one will live in fear or be without enough to eat. They portray themselves as the world's true humanitarians. Thus, it's difficult to say the violation of human rights is communism's core evil. Political writers such as Hannah Arendt might argue that communism's core evil is found in its totalitarian nature. However, the communists counter that repressive rule will not continue forever. It's only a stage, they say. Once the world has been freed from the threat of counter-revolution, there will be no need for repression. There will not even be any need for government. Men and women will be completely liberated. This cannot be the core evil either because theoretically totalitarian rule is thus only a stage in a process. Marx's slogan from his text on Gotha program sounds poetic, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. Communists predict a glorious future for humanity. Soviet communist leaders predicted a future communist paradise and by 1980. Soviet scholars were then ordered to study the promised new society. They anticipated the emergence of a classless society. And today, Chinese communist leader Xi Jinping talks about the China dream and creating a world of co-prosperity that envisions China under the Communist Party as dominating the world in pursuit of this uh, communist utopia. Communism was to provide total freedom and true democracy. All needs were to be abundantly satisfied. Today, those Soviet studies and Xi's promised China dream are an embarrassment for communism that stands as a failure. Rather than fulfilling humankind's dreams, communism has come to be a nightmare for all of its victims. Rather than a worker's utopia, we find workers struggling to survive and suppressed by a corrupt Communist Party class. Instead of a classless society, in every communist nation, a new and powerful elite, the nomenclatura in the Soviet Union and the princeling class in China, have emerged. In they are cruel masters who live in luxury at the expense of the majority of common people. Instead of total freedom and democracy, communist society has produced abuse, slavery, repression, genocide, and mass death. What provoked all of this? What is behind this suffering? The VOC worldview argues that communism's core evil does not lie in its attacks on private property, its violation of human rights, its deprivation of freedom, or its totalitarian nature. These are symptomatic of a more profound problem. So, what is the core evil of communism? It is communism's militant denial of the existence of God. We find this militant posture beginning with Marx's earliest writings, and we'll get into this in a later podcast. Furthermore, communism militantly denies the eternal life of human beings. If there is no God and no eternal life, then there is no basis for absolute values. At the bottom of any atheistic ideology, it is the belief that man is responsible to no one greater than himself. So when you have an ideology that is constructed like that, which denies God and the eternal human spirit, and this ideology is adopted as official state policy, what is the result? All of the unrestrained power of the state is brought to bear on any dissenters, and state atrocity and barbarism come to rule. The core evil of communism emerges when the denial of God and the denial of eternal life of man becomes state policy. This we have seen in Stalin's Russia, Mao's China, 
Pol Pot's Cambodia, Castro's Cuba, and in every other nation where communism has been implanted. These facts led, led the new French new philosopher Bernard-Henri Levy, Levy to refer to communism as barbarism with a human face. Behind a facade of hope and promise is a philosophical basis for the cruel abuse of human rights. When God is denied by the official ideology, the state can lie, kill, and extort without any remorse. The state becomes a beast. In fact, the communist state is worse than a beast. It violates human dignity and does so with all of the ingenuity of the human mind, something no animal could ever do. Communism's philosophy justifies barbarism and genocide. The French philosopher Albert Camus once remarked that, quote, we are living in the age of the perfect crime. Our criminals are no longer children who can use passion as their excuse. They are adults and they have the perfect alibi philosophy, which can be used even to transform murderers into judges. Communism is the perfection of what Machiavelli said is the end justifies the means. The human cost of communism has been staggering, 150 million lives, and the death toll is increasing and will increase if American Marxists and Chinese communists continue their quest for global power. Communism thus constitutes the worst enemy of God and the worst crime against humanity. How should we respond to the threat of communism? Traditional anti-communist approaches are good, but they are not enough. In order to awaken the young and the idealistic, we cannot just attack the deeds of the communists. We in the West are also guilty of shortcomings, and we have to admit to them. Furthermore, to win intellectuals to our cause, we have to point out the ideological fallacies of Marxism and communism. We need to show that even when social problems are real, communism brings no solution to them. Then we need to offer a real solution to the moral and social ills that have created fertile ground for communism to take root and expand. We need a positive solution. We've been defensive too long. In order to win, we have to take the offensive. Since this is a war of ideas, we must initiate an ideological offensive. Marxism thrives by exploiting humanity's religious sentiments. It engenders passions and supplants the religious experience with a political one, an atheistic one. We need to recognize communism as a god godless form of religion. A godless religion can only be subjugated by God himself. Therefore, the ideological offensive, offensive we need against communism must be launched from the point of belief in God. Just as light dispels darkness, the knowledge of God will overcome atheism. To achieve this, we need a God-centered worldview. VOC calls this worldview Godism. It emphasizes that we are not attempting to preach the viewpoint of a particular religion or denomination. Instead, we are speaking of a philosophical perspective broad enough for all religion all religionists and for all people of conscience. The podcast proceeds. I will present more details of this worldview as a solution to communism and a foundation for lasting peace. I will also provide a foundation for a just and moral society. In other words, the solution to the problem of communism is only an intermediate goal. Our ultimate goal has to be the fulfillment of the age-old human dream, the dream of just of a just and moral world. One reason for the success of communism up to this point has been the appeal to its natural aspiration of, 
of people for an ideal world. In history, both good and evil men have addressed this aspect of human nature. On the positive side, we have Martin Luther King Jr., who inspired millions of people when he spoke of his dream of a society free of racism. And on the negative side, there was Hitler, who rallied millions to the dark task of building the Third Reich. Such appeals have been successful because for good or bad, they touch on the innate human desire to see God's ideal established on earth. In the same way, communism speaks of the realization of utopia and asks people to sacrifice for the so-called workers' paradise. But after decades, this utopian dream has turned into a nightmare. There can be no good and moral world where God is excluded. The ideal world must be built on a belief in God as the center. In religious terminology, this is known as the kingdom of God on earth. This is our dream. I'll be right back with the news section after a short break. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages. Hi, this is Bill Gertz. I wanted to talk to you briefly about my latest book. It's called Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy. This is the most important book you can read to fully understand the threat posed by the Chinese Communist government. I urge you to get a copy today. It can be found at my website, The Gertz File. That's GertzFile.com or at the book site called DeceivingTheSky.com. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Earlier, I discussed how woke ideology and political correctness are undermining our free and open American system of democracy. In this, the news portion of the podcast, I'm going to discuss the Washington commander's coach who was fined for telling the truth about the American Marxist-inspired riots that took place that devastated several U.S. cities two summers ago. I'm also going to discuss the recall election of Marxist San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin. Recently, House Democrats conducted a primetime hearing on the January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol. The hearing was a partisan shot at former President Trump that appears more of a propaganda effort to dissuade Trump from running for president again in 2024 than an honest investigation into what happened at the riot. A few days before the hearing, Jack Del Rio, a coach for the newly renamed Washington Commanders, the storied pro football team that was forced by political correctness to change its team name from the Washington Redskins, who criticized the hearings. Well, Del Rio, who is the commander's defensive coordinator, became, became a target of Marxist-style cancel culture from his own team for stating the truth. First, I want to say that the name, chain, the name changed was forced on team owner Dan Snyder by the political left that said that the Redskins name was derogatory or worse racist. Several years ago, I asked a Native American friend of mine who, play, who I play lacrosse with if he views Redskins as racist. He said no. He said it's just a few radicals among the natives that are offended. So what happened in the Del Rio incident? On June 6th, Del Rio tweeted a response to CNN legal analyst Norm Eisen, who stated on Twitter, quote, 
As the 1-6 committee hearings draw near, we must understand the whole story of January 6th. In response, Del Rio replied, quote, would love to understand, quote, the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and the destruction of personal property is never discussed, but is but this is, question mark, question mark, hashtag common sense. Two days later, Del Rio told reporters at a press conference, quote, let's get right down to it. What did I ask? A simple question. Why are we not looking into these things if we're talk, going to talk about it? Why are we not looking into those things? Because it's kind of hard for me to say I can realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. But then we have a dust up at the Capitol where nothing was burned down and we're going to make that a major deal. I just think it's two kinds of standards. And if we apply the same standard and we're going to be reasonable with each other, let's have a discussion. That's all it was. Let's have a discussion. We're Americans. Let's talk it through, unquote. Del Rio said his statements didn't bother his team, but he noted that, quote, if they are and they want to talk about it, I'll be ready to talk to anybody. Hours later, Del Rio apologized. But two days later, the commanders fined Del Rio $100,000 for his comments. Worse, the team's coach, Ron Rivera, denounced Del Rio for referring to the George Floyd riots as destructive. Rivera said in an astonishing statement that, quote, Our organization will not tolerate any equivalency between those who demanded justice in the wake of George Floyd's murder and those who sought to topple our government. The $100,000 will be donated to the U.S. Capitol Police Memorial Fund. Uh, Rivera went on to say his comments do not reflect the organization's view and are extremely hurtful to our great community here in the DMV, which is the District, Maryland, Virginia area. As we saw Thursday night in the hearings, what happened on the Capitol on January 6, 2021, was an act of domestic terrorism. Rivera said, a group of citizens attempted to overturn the results of a free and fair election, and as a result, lives were lost and the Capitol building was damaged. Coach Del Rio did apologize for his comments on Wednesday, and he understands the distinction between the events of that dark day and peaceful protests, which are the hallmark of our democracy, he said. Rivera then went on to say that uh, Del Rio does have the right to voice his opinion as a citizen of the United States. And it most certainly is his constitutional right to do so. However, words have consequences, and his words hurt a lot of people in our community. First, let's be clear. The riots that took place in the summer of 2020 were extremely damaging and cost many, many more lives than were lost at the U.S. Capitol. There isn't an equivalency in that, but... I think it's fair to say that there hasn't been the kind of attention that needs to be uh, attached to those riots and the, the damage and destruction that they cause and the damage to democracy. But yet that's not being investigated. It's been dismissed under the Marxist rubric that this is somehow a, quote, a justice and justifiable uh, act of vengeance. The Del Rio controversy shows that free speech in the United States is under assault from American Marxists. Well, a positive sign of resistance to American Marxism surfaced around the same time in the left-wing city of San Francisco, where 7% of the population is Republican. Chesa Boudin 
was voted out of office as the district attorney in a recall vote that was organized by liberals throughout the city. Boudin is the classic model of an American Marxist and a second-generation radical. Boudin is the second-generation son of radical communist parents Kathy Boudin and David Gilbert. In 1981, when Boudin was a baby, Kathy Boudin and Gilbert were both members of the Weather Underground, a radical militant Marxist organization. The couple drove the getaway car following an armed robbery of a Brinks truck in New York, in which a Brinks guard and two police officers were fatally shot. Boudin was raised in Chicago by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, who were co-founders of the Weather Underground. They carried out a series of bombings of public buildings to protest U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. Ayers and Dorn hid out underground as fugitives for many years. Boudin's mother was released from prison in 2003, while his father is still in prison. Boudin condemned his parents' crime, and then he went on to attend law school. And, but before that, he lived in Venezuela and served as a translator for then-Marxist president Hugo Chavez. His first jobs were as a law clerk to two federal judges and then in the San Francisco Public Defender's Office. During his time, he argued that the California bail system is unconstitutional. He ran for district attorney in 2019 in a campaign funded by leftist financier George Soros. That campaign was part of a, uh, of a, of a nationwide effort to elect radical district attorneys that now populate the prosecutor cadre in several major cities, including Los Angeles and New York. In his campaign for DA, he promised to end what he regarded as the racist mass incarceration system and an end to cash bail, to establish a unit uh, to review alleged wrongful convictions and to aggressively prosecute police misconduct, along with refusing to provide any assistance to federal immigration and customs enforcement officials. It is part of an American Marxist agenda of fundamentally reverse engineering the criminal justice system and replacing independent law and order prosecutors with pro-criminal zealots. The result of these policies was predictable for any non-Marxist, the massive increase in crime and ultimately the destabilization of civil society. After his election, Boutin said, the people of San Francisco have sent a powerful and clear message. It's time for radical change to how we envisage justice. He declared the death penalty racist and immoral and de-emphasized prosecuting drug cases, despite the deaths of 100,000 drug users last year from the fentanyl crisis. San Francisco quickly transformed itself into a nightmare of open-air drug markets where drug dealers hawk drugs on the streets and junkies shot up and collapse on the streets. This is taking place. Mounds of feces piled up along the street along with used needles. Criminal break-ins increased from by 100 to 700 percent throughout the city. Rampant shoplifting led drugstores and other retailers to leave the city. Auto break-ins were so pervasive that car owners placed signs on their vehicles saying nothing of value in signs so that the windows wouldn't be smashed. Boudin also released a crime suspects with long records that continued to commit other crimes. Liberals reacted to the crime rave and criminal negligence of their DA with a recall campaign. 60% of the voters voted him out of office. Boudin dismissed the effort as a campaign by right-wing billionaires, but those that organized the campaign were all liberals and Democrats, including the former chairwoman of the San Francisco Democratic Party. 
His communist roots were evidenced in early June at a Boudin rally in San Francisco against the recall election. One supporter at the rally was Angela Davis. Davis was a former FBI most wanted fugitive and Communist Party vice presidential candidate. <clears throat> she was also awarded the Lenin Peace Prize by the Soviet Union. After the recall, one of the leaders of the effort, uh, former uh, San Francisco Democratic Party head Mary Jung said in a statement, San Francisco voters are engaged and well-informed. They know that we can have important criminal justice reforms and public safety for all, but that neither was being achieved with Chessa in office. Richie Greenberg, spokesman for the recall effort, tweeted that Chessa Boudin's landslide loss should send a clear message across the nation that serving as district attorney, yet not holding criminals accountable, is a dereliction of duty. In addition to Boudin, other radical prosecutors across the country include all Democrats, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, George Gascone in Los Angeles, Kim Fox in Chicago, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, John Chisholm in Milwaukee, Kevin Hayden in Boston, and Kim Gardner in St. Louis. Portland, Oregon's radical DA is Mike Schmidt, whose party affiliation is unknown. Gascone in Los Angeles is also facing the threat of a recall election as signatures are being gathered for a November recall. He has faced unprecedented lawsuits by deputy prosecutors over directives supporting criminals. We'll take a short break and be right back. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages. If you enjoy listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, please consider helping Bill with his important work of educating patriots just like you about how communism is very real and even more dangerous than ever before. Your donation to the Victory Over Communism program will help expand its reach across America and throughout the world. In fact, you'll be helping to provide the kind of information that may well make its way behind the new Iron Curtain and the Great Firewall of China and inspire those living under communism to seek freedom. Supporting the Victory Over Communism program is easy. Just visit the program website, victoryovercommunism.net, and click on the link at the bottom to GoFundMe.com. Again, just visit victoryovercommunism.net and click on the link to GoFundMe.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless America. Hi, friends. Uh, the beginning portion of this podcast is drawn from my book, I War, War and Peace in the Information Age. I want to urge everyone listening to get a copy of this book. It's vitally important in helping to understand the danger free societies face from information warfare attacks from China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, and Islamic terrorists. More importantly, my book calls for reestablishing a U.S. information agency for the 21st century. The old USIA was disbanded in 1991, but was a vital information tool in defeating Soviet communism during the Cold War. You can get a copy of IWAR through Amazon or through the book website iwarbook.com. Again, that's iwarbook.com. I urge everyone to read this important book. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. With the interview portion of the podcast, I'm joined now by Dr. Thomas Ward. 
Tom is a professor of peace and development studies at the Unification Theological Seminary and is former president of UTS. For this podcast, Dr. Ward is an important figure. Back in 1985, he co-authored what is known as the Causa Manual that was produced by a think tank called the Causa Institute. This publication was a a remarkable assessment of what I'm calling the VOC worldview, and back then was known as the Causa worldview. This worldview is based on the unification worldview that is an analysis, critique, and counterproposal of Marxism-Leninism. Tom is now teaching a course at the Unification Theological Seminary that will examine Marxism-Leninism and Marxist derivatives. Part of that course will study the collapse of civil virtue in the West and the rise of Xi Jinping's guiding worldview. So, Tom, why do we need to study the unification critique and counterproposal to communism in 2022? Well, thank you, Bill, for inviting me today. I'm very happy to be here and to have an opportunity to speak about this. First of all, it's important to study about victory over communism or the unification critique and counterproposal to communism because uh, it is a theory which is still uh, very much alive and in particular it uh, is the leading thought uh, in the People's Republic of China. We find that particularly uh, since uh, Xi Jinping assumed leadership in China back in 2012 he has really placed uh, Marxism-Leninism at at the very center and has encouraged study of Marxism-Leninism. Interestingly, back in 2018, on the 4th of May, marking the 200th anniversary of Karl Marx, Xi Jinping gave a lecture which goes about an hour and 15 minutes where he speaks about all of Marx's achievements And he actually describes Karl Marx as the greatest thinker in human history, uh, beyond Confucius, Mencius, or any of the great Chinese thinkers, or beyond uh, any thinkers in the the West. He cites Marx as, as the central figure. There is no question that Marxism serves as a pivotal dimension of his leadership. And therefore, it is important to uh, kind of take him at his word. And in taking him at his word, what I see is that particularly if you go back to that May 4th speech, but so many other of the speeches of Xi Jinping, uh, you can go to Amazon.com. Actually, there are, there are three books on governance by Xi Jinping, and each of them are, are filled with references to Marxism. So we have to take uh, Xi Jinping's words at face value. We find that he endorses uh, Marx's uh, labor theory of value, his theory of surplus value. He endorses dialectical materialism. He endorses historical materialism. He endorses, likewise, uh, Lenin's theory of imperialism. So I think that there is the need to respond, and I believe that the unification worldview and its critique of communism is an appropriate means to assess the validity of uh, Xi Jinping's assertions. Yes, definitely. Uh, he's, he's revitalized Marxism-Leninism in China 
And I think that's one of the key features of his, his rule there. Later this year, he's going to have a major uh, meeting of the Chinese Communist Party, at which time he's going to uh, basically assume power that nobody since Mao has had. And I think that the reason that he's doing that is, again, to promote Marxism-Leninism. The, the, uh, the so-called China dream of Xi Jinping is actually a, a China nightmare, but he wants to spread this idea. And most importantly, he wants to defeat the United States uh, before China can achieve this uh, global domination. Uh, this episode of the podcast examines two American Marxists, uh, Herbert Marcuse and Saul Alinsky. Marcuse called for the long march through the institution uh, in creating ultimately the communist workers' par paradise. Are, are we seeing signs of that 1970s long march through the institutions uh, achieving some success in infiltrating Marxism and Marxist ideas within our, our, our society, including all segments, government, private sector? I think there's no question that, that we see that. It basically, uh, we find ourselves in a situation where in so many of our universities, uh, the whole ability to discuss certain views, it's no longer acceptable. I mean, basically, there is a narrative, and we're talking about a narrative, not a truth. There is a narrative which is out there, which basically establishes certain perspectives as being the values that everyone needs to align with. And that particular perspective, in so many ways, it undermines what have been America's classic values. Um, the United States was founded upon civic virtue. And uh, so many of the American founders, including John Adams and Benjamin Franklin, really emphasized that democracy without civil civic virtue had uh, had no potential of uh, of enduring for very long and charles murray um he speaks about certain fundamental values that were central to america's founding and those include uh the emphasis upon the value of hard work the central role of religion the pivotal role that was played by the family as as a founding institution in America, the importance of honesty and truth. And what we see today is that those institutions have been undermined. And uh, things that were so fundamental to the founding of our country, they're not there anymore. So the, uh, the centrality of the Ten Commandments, if we look at the kind of narrative that's going on today in America's uh, institutions of higher education, at least four or five of the Ten Commandments have already been eliminated. They're not there anymore. And as a consequence of that, we have greatly wandered from the civic virtue that was emphasized as being at the very center of the American democratic experiment. That's not there anymore. And we need to recognize that. And we need to recognize also that uh, the, um, the process which is going on at, at, in our systems of education today, it, on the one hand, yes, you could point to a figure like Herbert Marcuse, 
but my own feeling is that's only part and parcel of, of the, the challenge that we face. If you go back to Marxism itself, Marxism denied God largely because of the work of Ludwig Feuerbach and David Strauss and others who basically pointed at inconsistencies in the Bible. Marxism did not spend a lot of time in trying to show that there was not a God. But there was another stream of thought which has been central to the American tradition, which didn't focus upon just the Bible, but more importantly, it focused upon origins. And I'm talking about Darwinism and the way in which Darwinism has been implemented in our country in order to deny the existence of God. And uh, this goes all the way back to the 1925 Scopes trial. And in that Scopes trial, you have Clarence, uh, Clarence Darrow and uh, William Jennings Bryan. And Darrow, who was on the side of the secularist, he, he, he very cleverly forced William Jennings Bryan into taking a position emphasizing that God had created the world in seven days. And that particular posture served as a way to really uh, make a joke of Christianity, make a joke of religion, make a joke of the role that religion was playing in American education. That was done particularly through H.L. Mencken, you know, who uh, the great, you know, the great American semanticist. He basically demeaned all that and showed that it was not very significant. Now, the interesting thing that we see today is that that, that line of thought, if you will, um, of the so-called secular humanist, today they're alarmed. They're alarmed. I mean, they were the ones who were successful kind of removing God from the central role in America, but they see what's going on today with so-called woke culture, and even they are alarmed by it. Because somehow, um, not only is God gone, but for them, even the right for free inquiry is gone because of these narratives there that are being imposed upon people. Very interesting. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, assessment. Um, in your course uh, this summer, you're going to be just uh, addressing cultural Marxism and uh, cultural communism. Uh, are they a myth or a reality? I think that they're a misunderstanding. I, uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any question that there is a dimension of, of Marxism that uh, is very strong in the United States. However, um, cultural Marxism, uh, it's a narrative. Again, it, it's not something that we can concretely show as being the central issue, if you will. I think in the United States, quite, quite frankly, a, a greater concern than, than cultural Marxism is, first of all, this very strong secular worldview, which has been in place in the United States um, since the since the 1950s, uh, beginning with John Dewey, and the whole process whereby you know we we removed uh, uh, prayer from our schools, and step by step we we introduced the sex education into our schools, and we talk about well the the the, the the basis upon which Engel versus Vitali, the decision to remove prayer from our schools, was that at least in theory, by doing that, it, we, we would allow, we would respect people's freedom of thought, people's freedom of, of, of acting. But nowadays, we have a sexual ethic being taught in our schools, 
would actually, which actually completely contradicts and conflicts with the religious views of, of, uh, of so many of the people who are sending their children into, into those schools. So I think that that is a, a much more concerning issue than uh, cultural Marxism, which is of, often depicted as a kind of a plot that was put into place by, uh, by uh, the Soviet Union and by others following the collapse of the Soviet Union. I don't, I don't feel that that's really what we're talking about. I think what we're really talking about is this growing force of secularism. And that force of secularism, because of Darwinism, was successful in denying God's existence much more effectively than Marxism was able to do it through its reliance upon Feuerbach. So God has been removed from the American educational system from, from American culture in so many different ways. And it is being supplanted by these types of, of uh, values, including woke values, if you will, but on the foundation of secular humanism. And the secularists, they will, they will challenge that, they will deny it. But the reality is that when, when you remove God from a system, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a certain vacuum there. And the, uh, the woke, Woke supporters, they've been able to take advantage of that. Thanks, Tom. That's great. Uh, uh, we've been talking with Dr. Thomas Ward, Professor of Peace and Development Studies at the Unification Theological Seminary. Tom, thanks so much uh, for your, uh, your interview with me. Uh, that's it for this podcast. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Victory Over Communism with award-winning national security journalist Bill Gertz, the only program in the free world unafraid to pull back the curtain of communism to reveal how the Communist Party of China and even America's own brand of Marxism pose real threats to freedom and democracy in America and the world today. See you next time on Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz.